Welcome to Red and Yellow, the podcast about all things to do with refereeing at grassroots level, looking at the laws of football, speaking to guests and trying to help you become a better referee with Adam Humphreys and me, Ed Connell. Hello, it's Adam here and welcome to this episode of Red or Yellow. I just wanted to jump on here before the episode started to remind you to please send us in your questions about anything refereeing and that way we can hopefully help you improve your game as well as help all of the listeners improve their games as well. It's always nice to hear your opinions and views on things so please send those in. You can do that via email that's redoryellowpod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram it's at redoryellowpod. Added to that If you would subscribe to the podcast, that would mean an awful lot to us. And then that way, our meandering chats about refereeing will magically appear on your phone whenever we release a new episode. And lastly, all views expressed on this podcast are that of myself, Adam Humphreys, and not that of Football Queensland. Now that's all done. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Ed. Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm not too bad at all. I um I mowed my lawn yesterday, which was a two and a half hour job on a ride on lawnmower. And if you'd have told me five years ago I'd be riding a ride on lawnmower, I would not have believed you. So feel like I'm living my best Australian life. Who's lent you a, a ride on lawnmower? My next door neighbour, because the grass was getting a little bit shocking, and we're worried about snakes. Just one of those things about living in this wonderful country. Your garden is very big, though, isn't it? What, how big is your garden? Uh, our whole plot is two and a half acres. And, I mean, that's that's a lot of grass. And uh, talking <laughs> about snakes, your your wife posted uh, a picture of a snake hanging down from what? The sort of the roof of your house or something? Yeah, kind of like the veranda, I suppose you could call it. Yeah, that was a carpet python. Probably not very lethal to humans, but quite lethal to small animals. And we just got a dog. We got Hugo. So, um we was a bit concerned about that, but we haven't seen it since. Good. Well, because um, I always tell people, don't worry about things like that. You never see them in Australia. And then, of course, you post a picture of it hanging from the roof of your house, which is obviously not ideal. Of but course uh, I do. And um, we should say that one of the things that's come out of last week's show, um, big, and, and first of all, the most remarkable thing is I can say last week's show because we haven't been able to say that for a long time. I know. But one of the, one of the remar- remarkable things that came out of last week's show is not only did we have a great guest in Terry who uh, gave us a great insight into sort of the promotion route and he's going to come back hopefully and tell us more about it later on the season, but he's now become the producer of our show. We have um, a producer. We have a producer, and the the benefits to the uh, listeners, for those who are thinking, well, what are the benefits to listeners? Well, the first benefit is Terry said, you need to get recording more often. So here we are a week later. Uh, The second benefit for the listeners is Terry said to us, your episodes are too long. So we're going to endeavour to try and keep this episode down to about 45 minutes. Which Um, which was ironic because he spent a good 40 minutes on the last episode just narrowing Exactly. Most of it was him talking last week, to be fair. (laughs) And also, um, the the week we decided we're going to try and keep it down to 45 minutes, the week with probably the most refereeing news (laughs) in in the last seven days we've had in the last year. So it's going to... It's going to be a bit of a sort of fast overview of the week's news, uh, and there's an awful lot of news. So should we should we go straight into the news? We Which should. news story? I mean, I've got I've got I tell you now. Um, well, the listeners will know. I, I've obviously prepared for the podcast, and I'm sitting here with a whole load of notes. Uh, you're, you're presumably going to uh, be winging it again. 
What but, do you mean again? I am I am nothing but just like it's my life. I don't need to write notes. I just know stuff. I think our law listeners know by now, Adam, as to who's the prep and the brains behind this operation. <laughs> well, I think if you was to go on our, our general occupations, you know, act a personal trainer and what you do for a living, I think it makes <laughs> sense that you take notes. Anyway, which news topic do you want to go to first? Because uh, I I'm think we should. I think we should probably cover the big one first, which is undoubtedly Turkey. Oh, yeah, I agree. Turkey is uh, probably the most important news, referee news over the last week, particularly in light of the way we sort of shone the spotlight on abuse towards referees. Um, well, I suspect most of our listeners will have seen this, but it was um, a, a football match in the Turkish league. And I think what happened was, was that um, there was a, a 97th minute equaliser uh, in a match. And um, the I think it was the president of the club who was on the receiving end of that sort of final goal came on the pitch at the end of the game and without saying anything, walked straight up and just swung a big right hook at the referee. Um, I mean, the, the pictures are terrible. Not only the pictures of of the sort of impact and the, and the referee going to the ground, but sort of the black eye that almost yeah. emerged almost straight away. Um, and- and I mean, then also it, someone else from the club comes round the other side and kicks a referee while he's down, like literally kicks a referee. Yeah, while he's no, down. that's right. There was there was some. Um, he received several blows. Apparently, it said, and and he got injuries, including a minor fracture during this incident, which is just absolutely shocking. I mean, it's what's so frightening for me. Uh, it's not. It's not surprising but it is frightening we talk about the vulnerabilities as sort of refs on the sort of um, pitches each weekend at grassroots level because you know in terms of protection you don't have cctv people aren't normally filming what's going on if something happens afterwards it's you know one person's word against another but the fact that someone's prepared to walk onto a match that was being televised and to do this i mean it just it's absolutely terrifying um I mean, the, the the best thing all of all that's come out of it is the reaction, I suppose, of the sort of Turkish FA and the governing bodies around the world who all expressed their complete and utter outrage at what happened. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I the bit that the bit that stunned me the most with this was when I saw it. I saw the first thing I kind of saw was not necessarily his black eye or anything, but it was a FIFA badge. This is a yeah. FIFA official. And yeah. and it kind of felt a bit like a watershed moment. It kind of felt like, well, look, you know, the grassroots bunch just kind of half expected, but the fact it happened at a fee on a FIFA official, like that's you know, this guy is a like he can referee in the Champions League. I think he referees for UEFA. He he's probably the most or second most senior referee in the country, and he was yeah. physically assaulted. Like it just, it really that really shocked me. And and then obviously we watched the footage and that shocked me even further. And the other thing that's absolutely crazy about it is like we watched the highlights and yeah. he had a great game. Like yeah. there was nothing no, I, in the game. There was nothing in the game that would suggest mm, he was a bit harsh. You know, uh, from, uh, from the team attacking he sent a player off for a like first yellow card was abuse, second yellow card was something else. Or dissent, second yellow card was something else. And and it was all seen fair and level more. So I really I, I it would be very interesting to know what the president's justification, not that there is a justification, but what sent him over the edge to do such a thing. But I, I don't even think he um 
had done anything wrong in relation to I don't think sort of referee's decision was any way to responsible for the equaliser. I mean, it's just the fact that it came very late on in the game. And the reality is 97th minute these days is, as we all know, becoming more and more the norm. norm. But, yeah. um, I mean, the, the reaction was, um, unsurprisingly, I think that all league matches have been were postponed indefinitely. I don't know whether that has been uh, changed at all since then. And um, the... The FA Turkish FA chairman quite rightly said that night that the the attack is a night of shame for Turkish football. Yeah. Um. And and again, um, Gianni Infantino, bit of a controversial figure himself, but the FIFA president came out and reminded everybody: without match officials, there's no football, and referees, players, fans, and staff have to be safe and secure to enjoy the game. Mm. Um. Yeah. And it's it's also been met with sort of um the same. Um, reaction from governing bodies around the world and from the um, professional refereeing body in uh, the UK as well. So that's um, big news. What was your? Well, I just wanted to say, news? just before we move on, I think it goes without saying that we wish. I, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but Halil. Yeah, I was just, Hala, I, if you're listening, we hope you. Uh, we hope you have a speedy recovery. Yeah, no, um, absolutely, yeah, um, and let's hope we don't see anything like that happening again. Next piece of news, on the home front, or certainly my home front, Adam, we've got two um, big appointments, uh, that very newsworthy yes. appointments in the Premier League um, over the Christmas period. Um, I can't believe I'm quite saying this because it's 2023, about to go into 2024, but we are going to have the first Premier League game uh, ever refereed by a woman. Um, yes. Um, I mean, it is remarkable, isn't it, that that has deservedly so. Now. She she did a great job at the Women's World Cup, and uh, yeah, yeah, she gets a Premier League debut, which would be great. Uh, one thing she, I have found quite amazing about that is how quickly people have forgotten Sean Massey. I know she didn't referee; she was only an assistant. But like you know, um, this wouldn't have happened without Sean Massey uh, getting you know onto the, the line in the Premier League. And, yeah, it's very true. And you know, everyone's like, "Oh, this is amazing." Um, but equal to that, you know, you have to you have to pay tribute to the Trailblazers that went before as well as yeah. part of the conversation. And some of the some of the commentary around it's been quite shocking. Oh, you know, what's the point in putting her in there because it might get the players into trouble for being sexist? Well, here's an idea. How about you just don't be sexist? How about you just well, you know? I mean, I, it, it's ridiculous. It's not- the reason why it's taken so long for us to have a female referee is because of the problems within the game of football. So those sorts of reactions really aren't a big surprise. But Absolutely. Rebecca Welsh is going to referee the Fulham Burner game on the 23rd of December. Congratulations, um, Rebecca. She, yeah, she was the first female ref to referee in the championship as well in January of this year. Um, and wow. she has been a fourth official um, on, on the Premier League. Um, she did that, I think, last month. But uh, yeah, so that's great news. But she's gone Second, from the championship. She's gone from the championship yeah. to the Premier League in less than a calendar year. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Great work, Rebecca. Well done. Impressive. Um, and the other, again, equally sort of shocking, but um, still welcome, is the fact that uh, the uh, referee, Sam Allison, um, has been appointed... Uh, to referee um, the Sheffield Luton Boxing Day, get, Boxing Day game. Significant to that being that Sam Allison is black. He's going to be, uh, it's not the first uh, black referee in the Premier League, but it's the first referee in 15 years. I mean, that is, again... Do you know who, you know who the first one was? I do know who the first one was, yeah. yeah. Uriah Heap was the uh, the first Uriah one. Uriah Rennie. Oh, Uriah Heap's from... Um, Oliver Twist is the or something like that. Oh dear! Oh Ed, what a faux pas! Well, I mean, it, 
if, if I'm going to make a mistake about it, make a mistake with a sort of uh, a, a literature reference, isn't exactly the worst one you can make? <laughs> how, very home, how very home counters of you, sir. Exactly. And I'm also, you know, because you've mentioned the fact you're an actor, darling, that it's difficult <laughs> not for me to think about uh, did, I, did I mention these things. You did is mention that, Is that, that something I yeah. said? Is that? that doesn't sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, it's quite remarkable, isn't it, that he is the first one in 15 years. And until four years ago, he was the only black ref in the top four divisions in, in the UK. Wow, I mean, that that's quite a shocking stuff. Quite unbelievable. And um, there are still only a very small handful of uh, non-white referees uh, still. Again, quite worrying. And uh, I don't know quite what's going on to try. And, I know that I know that um, Had Webb is talking constantly about sort of tra- wanting to diversify the top of the game. Mm-hmm. Um but one woman and one black male is not exactly a resounding success. But anyway, so it's progress. It is a start. It is a start. It's progress. And we can only hope it continues from there. And at least the energy behind it is there, which is always a positive thing. Uh, next piece of news. Um, we should mention the video that we post on TikTok. Um, we should. From, was it from the French League that it that Are you talking about the two we need to go through? You're talking about the free kick? I'm talking about the free kick, yeah. yeah um, was, I think it was from the Europa League. Oh, was it? It was, it was the French team was, playing. Yeah. Was it? Ren were playing, Ren. weren't they? Ren. Yes. And um, if you haven't seen it, you'll find it on our TikTok feed. Our TikTok uh, account, Adam, is? At Red or Yellow um, Pod. Red or Yellow Pod. Uh, and we posted this week. Um, Terry um, brought our attention to it uh, early on this week and asked us to look at the footage and asked us if we could work out why the goal had been disallowed. And um, immediately, immediately, you can see the advantages of us having a producer. Exactly. <laughs> see, there we go. He's been with us a few days and he's already made us uh, better. But, um, and because you'll see when you watch the footage, um, this is, for, so it's a spoiler here now. So if you haven't watched the footage yet, now would be the time to pause the podcast, go to our <laughs> TikTok account or Google disallowed Ren Europa uh, League goal. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to keep talking on the basis that you've been and seen it. But what's interesting is um, Terry invited us to have a look at it to try and work out why the goal had been disallowed. And when you watch the footage, uh, goal's disallowed, they start, commentators then start talking, and they're obviously all looking at where's the offside decision, you know, and they're looking at every phase of this build-up to this goal saying, oh, he's not offside there, he's not offside there. And I got completely drawn in by that, and I'm thinking, <laughs> it's it, it it's offside somewhere, um, and I'm looking at it thinking, this is not offside. And then uh, Adam had a look at it and Adam said straight away what the answer was. Which Immediately. Um, like I had to watch literally the first three seconds and I knew what it yeah. was. I'm, um, not saying, I'm not saying I'm better than the guy who refereed that game, but, you know, um, no, to be fair, they got it right as well. What I would say is, so it's a, it's kind of a double jeopardy thing, right? So the guy takes a free kick, the free kick hits the crossbar, it rebounds out, and then he touches it again. Yeah. And play continues. Now, the referee probably shouldn't have let play continue. No. Probably should have stopped it when the offence occurred. But I think the thing with the offside, that affected him was the fact, or the reason everyone was looking for an offside is the fact that he put his arm in the air for an indirect free kick, I think, which didn't make a yeah. lot of sense to me. No, and I, I originally thought it was an indirect free kick as well. I couldn't, but it, it can't have been because he was obviously shooting on goal. But I think the referee, I don't think the referee could have spotted it because he 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 let it, the play continue. Um, he's obviously been told about it um, on his comms that 
the player because so the answer is quite simple. What happened is the player kicked the took the free kick. It rebounds against the crossbar, comes back to him outside the eighteen yard box, and without any other player touching the ball, he then kicks it again. Yeah, uh, which obviously you can't do. So, um, but it was interesting. Yeah, so it's it, worth watching. Having had a look at it, um, as I say, you'll find it on our uh, TikTok account. Um, God, can I just say I, on that as well? It clearly goes to show how poor media are commentators, etc., in knowing the laws of the game, no and also how poor players are in knowing the laws of the game. And and this is a yeah. key example for you out on the field, right? Like you are the authority; you will have to make decisions that nobody else is aware of. And being able to make those decisions is what defines you as a referee and makes you a better referee. So I think just be aware of that, you know, like when you listen to what media have to say about decisions referees have done and stuff, just always have like your referees hat on. Hang on, what are they talking about? Are they being accurate with things like laws of the game? Because this is what forms a lot of the conversation around football in pubs, in on the street, amongst fans. And it's all so wrong. So, you know, from a factual point of view as a referee, like take on that societal role and just correct things and, and just have that antenna up. Commentators know nothing about the laws of the game. Pundits know nothing about the laws of the game. And they're the ones who drive these kinds of conversations. And it makes our life harder. So use those moments yeah. to correct people and to just be honest. And, and also when you're on the field, you may have to make brave decisions like that. The good news about this is they got the right decision eventually. They got there as a team. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we have four officials on a game. Um, I mean, I think what didn't help in the situation was was that the referee let play continue. There's sort of then about sort of three attempts to get the ball the in the box, and then a goal gets scored in it's the 96th minute. minute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a which is which does tell you that the referee obviously didn't spot it because you would not have let those sort of three or four sort of um, little forays into the box have gone on, and then some scoring, and that's why there was the confusion because. The referee hadn't stopped it when the board had immediately gone back to the player to take the free kick, which he should have done because there's no issue then that it's a it's a free kick. But then um, anyway, um it was it was an, an interesting one. I was just gonna mention very briefly, I mean in other news, um Arteta, um, because we spoke a while ago about Arteta's reaction. Uh, I'm sure listeners remember about how he reacted after the uh some sort of dubious FPR decision making. In the in game, Newcastle. Arsenal played against Newcastle. It was that. Yeah, it was that one where goal, where he's pushed him in the back to score the goal. Yeah, you know, was the ball out of play? Did he push him in the back? Is it offside? I mean, the one that sort of went on for ages. Anyway, off the game, um, Arteta said that the refereeing was an embarrassment and a disgrace. Uh, now, you might think that that would be, you know, something which was render you liable to a sanction from the uh, FA, but apparently, it was argued on his behalf. Successfully, um, people can't see my raised eyebrow when I said that. Um, that um, <laughs> and the he, um, his understanding um, of the word disgrace, um, ready for this, sounds like sort of the dog at my homework, is that the word disgracia in Spanish has connotations uh, not of contempt, dishonor, or disrespect. Which is how an English person mean it, uh, but me has connotations of misfortune, tragedy, or bad luck. Now I don't know about you, but I'm pretty certain that he knew what he was saying. I'm pretty certain that he wasn't saying what a tragedy that was that we conceded the goal and what terrible bad luck it is. I feel like we... Hamlet. <laughs> yes, it's such a it's such an awful tragedy. No, no one's to blame. It's just a terrible tragedy. 
I mean, I think we all know exactly what he meant. And if we didn't know what he meant, the fact that Arsenal then came out with a press release afterwards, which again, I thought was embarrassing, in which the Arsenal came out and said, Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly support Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VR errors on Saturday evening. So they had no doubt what he meant. But uh, poor poor Mikel, he didn't understand that, um, that disgrace, disgrace uh, didn't mean disgrace here. No sanction. Yeah, um, for our I mean, coming out and saying that we all need to work together. You're right, we do, and I think you'll find the referees have been saying that for a very, very, very long time. And it's interesting that it takes you to be in front of a disciplinary board in order to say that. I'd also say I think he'd have a great defence had he not spent the last what thirty. 25, 30 years of his life in England. I'm pretty sure his English is as good as his Spanish now, but there we go. Yeah, and we, we, you could tell what his sentiment was. Um, it wasn't talking about bad luck. No. Uh, I think we uh, all agree. But anyway, there we go. One final thing, maybe debate for another day, but um, IFAB, as they do, are meeting to talk about rule changes for next year or law changes next year. We've already mentioned, I think, last week about how they, they're sort of considering the semi-automatic offside decision which we've seen at euros before uh also talking about sin bins which we talked about last week but bizarrely i mean if, if refereeing wasn't complicated enough they're thinking about the introduction of an orange card which would be a, a bit of a bloody disaster for our podcast name adam <laughs> <laughs> i mean when i read this news i thought bloody hell i mean that's, that's right. not really i've got another I mean... name up my sleeve which we can change it to <laughs> But um, so apparently they're talking about wanting to have orange cards for offences falling short of red cards, such as dragging back a player from a promising attack, which isn't a dog-so situation. I mean, honestly, um, oh, I despair sometimes. But where do you um, define that line? Like, that's hard. That's just making everything so much more subjective for a referee, well, and that's the last they, thing we want. They gave an example from the Euro finals um whether it was england italy or whatever where Keeling was it pulled back I mean, that's, that's um saka as he yeah i mean it was ridiculous but it was on the halfway line it wasn't a red card offense but so yeah okay if th that's a great example of what might be an, an orange card situation but the but nothing's as clear cut as those sorts of examples so i mean no. it seems to be uh, uh, well complete madness uh, you know when mm -hmm. everything's when everything's going wrong with VAR, let, let's introduce something new uh, to take people's minds off it with orange <laughs> cards. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. And wait, wait, did you see the handball from the A-League? I did see the handball. Yeah. Did, and that, we also put that on our TikTok account as well, we didn't we, Adam? We did. Yeah. So our TikTok, our tick, 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 a little, put your teeth in, Adam. Our TikTok has been busy this weekend. It has been week, busy. Which is um, great. It is great. And Terry's been doing some great work behind the scenes to try and help improve our TikTok and social media content going forward. But um, yeah, that was a, another interesting clip. So again, if you haven't seen it, go and have a look. It's on our account. And um, I think in short, the, the goalkeeper comes way out of his area. And gets uh, caught handling the ball. Gets caught handling the ball. I don't know. What, what's your take on it, Adam? What did you think? Oh, it's definitely a red card. Um, I think I, I think a couple of things. When we look at Dogzo, we look at a set of considerations, defenders, distance, direction, and control. Player has control. The defenders, there are defenders in the screen, but if you're shooting from where the, yep. the, the handball happens, the defenders aren't getting to that ball. They're not able to make a play on the ball at all, so they're technically out of the equation. 
if the um, if the goalkeeper doesn't touch the ball, there's a shot on goal. Um, and whether it's a deliberate handball or not is kind of irrelevant because it's still a dog zone, it's still a handball. But I suppose, I'm, no, that's not true because he has to, it has to be a deliberate handball in order for it to be an offence. And there's a screenshot where you kind of see him kind of drop his shoulder into it. He's also I wrong-footed think- as a goalkeeper and a goalkeeper out that far from goal is, you know, the, the barrier is so much higher. If he uses his hands, like he, it, we're all going to think, hang on, what's he using his hands for that far out of goal in that position compared to a player? Um, I know yeah. there shouldn't be different rules for goalkeepers, but there just kind of is in terms of the way football is expected. I think what did it for me was the fact that you, you, you see now all the time, whenever a defender's sort of trying to block the ball or they can see the ball might be coming towards them, they're, they're super alive now to the fact that got to be really careful where my arms are and they're sort of trying to tuck them away. And for him, when you look at it, I mean, it wasn't in an unnatural position because it is still largely by his side, but for a goalkeeper... He, he's expanding, isn't he? Yeah, I think I it's. So. I get it. I think the fact it was a dogzo too doesn't help his case. We had a few questions on it um, from some loyal listeners. Um, oh, Aaron, Aaron just asked a question, like given the speed of the ball on which it's hit, the close proximity, could he have done any more with his arm not being in a natural, in an unnatural position? Um, he said he just felt oh. very harsh. I understand that argument, but I think all of the considerations are met here for dogzo, and I also think. Yeah, goalkeeper out that far. If it hits his hand, he's going to be in trouble. He just is. Yeah, and he and I think you know that as a goalkeeper that you you know if you come out, you're going to be scrutinised for what happens with your hands and arms. And for me, again, uh, yeah, he was. I mean, Anne's right to say that because he wasn't that far away from the keeper. But I I felt that the keeper made a play on the ball. He could have. He could have easily avoided avoided using his hands. Yeah, that's my view. And now, and someone else um, just mentioned there's too many defenders, but that's just not relevant here because they. Yeah, they don't, I, I mean there are defenders, but, the, but none of them not, are going to go stop stop the goal going in. Defenders can't run faster than the ball once it's shot, yeah, and they can't play on the ball based on where players. So it's just not a relevant. Well, it is a relevant consideration. They're not relevant in taking it away from being a dog zone. Cool. Uh, so I think that's the news for this week, Adam. Um, we ought to move it. on to. We ought to move on to our um, post bag. Um, our loyal Terry listeners. Will, already be starting to sweat because we're 30 minutes in and we <laughs> haven't done the post bag. We haven't done the law. We haven't done some facts. Our producer's um, giving us the hurry up. I can hear him in my ear. <laughs> I, can, I can see him sort of giving us the wind up figure off um, off screen to tell us it's a wrap it up a bit quicker. Um, but I think we've done pretty well to get through the the, yeah. the news in, in only big, 30 minutes. Big news item. Yeah. Big news week. Right. Um, we we picked two listener questions this week. Uh, which one did you want to deal with, Adam? Uh, should we go with Australia? Yeah, you're you're pretty well placed to deal with that. So yeah. who's that from? What did they say? One of our loyal listeners, uh, Mr. John Newstead. Thanks for listening and uh, hope you're enjoying the podcast. So when you moved to Oz, Adam, did you have to start at the bottom again? Or did they put you at a level that was similar to what you originally had in the UK? Which is a great question. Very good question. I get a lot Bearing of questions. Bear in mind, so many people seem to be... Um, wanted to move from yeah. the UK to Australia. I, mean, yeah, I, I think the conversation about snakes and spiders at the start of this yeah. podcast, then <laughs> having to get rider right on lawnmowers might put people off. But there we go. Um, so, um, so what what level were you when you last refereed in the UK? It was a level four referee. And um, had you 
had your sort of level four lapsed, or were you still sort of you were you know, so you were still a, you were still a level four referee, but when you moved to Australia, well, I mean, I was inactive. That's for sure. I don't know whether it lapsed or not, but I basically I had to go to the FA and get a letter of introduction, uh, which is basically where they write that I was a referee, I was at this level, I was qualified, I'd done this, this, and this, and then hand that over to Football Queensland. That let Football Queensland know that I wasn't lying, and and then all of my qualifications transferred. So here the system's a little bit different. A level four referee is the lowest level of referee you can be. Um, it's like the lowest accreditation we have, and then we go level four, three, two, one. And um, level two gets you into kind of like semi-professional football in Queensland, which is known as FQPL1, FQPL2, FQPL3. You can kind of do those. Um, so I started on FQPL3 on the South Coast and then did a season basically on that with a couple of FQPL2 games, I think. Um, and then last season, I was pretty much an FQPL1 referee. And, and next season I'll be going hopefully into FQPL one again, maybe the NPL, which would be a lot of fun. Um, so it's NPL being National Premier League. Um, but I, I only do that. It's this the highest level of football in the state of Queensland. Oh, it's not like I'll go down to Melbourne and do things. I'll only be um I'll only be in Queensland. But yeah, that's the and then teams from there, if they build up enough of a base and stuff, I suppose they, they probably would have a case to go into the A-League at some point. I don't really know. But then the next step for NPL referee would be going into sort of the A-League and then being recognised by by Football Australia. Uh, so it's quite a high level. Um, so it, it, I feel like it's similar. I feel like it's probably a bit of a... NPL is probably a bit of a step up to where I left off in the UK. Um, so I've had to build on it, but yeah, I'd say it was equivocal. Um, it's hard because it's not a like-for-like system, so it's hard to say. But we do definitely recognise um, the levels of referees, and we kind of take that into account. And then obviously, you know, because I was inactive, I was like, just you know, keep me at this level for a while, and just let me get my feet back and, and find what I'm doing again. And it's it's a bit different over here, like cultural changes and things like that are a bit different. So it took a bit of an adaptation, which I needed. Um, but yeah, I think generally people within a, a, yeah, a couple of months saw, saw what I was like and that I was finding my feet again and, and it was all coming back to me. And what was nice about here compared to the UK was I was able to just do middle after middle after middle after middle and I just really yeah. sharpened those tools. Whereas in the UK, when you're level four, it's middle every four to six weeks and everything else is assisting. So that was well, quite nice. I mean, the good thing is, is that it means that people going from here to Australia can continue on their sort of referee journey. So that, that's the good news. I mean, you, you sort of talk when you sort of mention the A-League as though you almost sound a bit dismissive as your prospects. But I mean, I mean, you're how old now, Adam? I'm old. <laughs> I'm 36. Not in refereeing terms. Six. But how old are you now? I'm 36. 36. 37 next year. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you really generally think that is sort of beyond your possibilities or not? I don't think it's beyond my possibilities. I think it's a race against time in terms of um, being recognised like at a high enough level in order to get into the A, like, like basically Football Australia don't know who I am, so I'd have to go, hey, like, and they have to recognise me and check me over. I've not done a season on the NPL yet, so you've obviously got to build that kind of experience and show you can handle that next level up of games, and you need to be experienced in that, so it's a couple of years. And also the other thing you have to remember is that A-League isn't, um, 
it's not like the Premier League. There's not like 20 teams. Um, so there's less games in general. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of other really good officials here. So who, who probably are a bit younger than me and probably, you know, would be looked at first. Like I'm, I am struggling with injuries every now and then, which doesn't help. Um, so like, you know, you never say never. Anything is possible. But, you know, I just think I, I'm not, also, I'm not sure I want to chase it. Do you know what I mean? If it happens, great. Mm. Um, but I'd be very happy just sticking to where I'm at and, and just doing and we, the um, level I do do. And, and honestly, it's a really high, good level. But the, the, the sure two refs think. we talked about the, at the top of the show, the first female ref um, and the first or second uh, black referee. I mean, Rebecca is 40, I think. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that... Um, Sam Allison is forty-two. So yeah. you know, the average age, the average age of Premier League officials is forty-two and a half. I think. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh well, not not beyond the realms of possibility, Adam. Yeah, you know, I just want to work hard and and not worry about thinking about what might or might not happen. Just control what's in my under my control, and just stick at FQPL one, stick at MPL, and just do a good job there. And hopefully, I'll get recognised. You know, I, I believe in the, the prospects of a meritocracy. You know, let's just keep going there. And so the other uh, listener question was the one we got um, emailed to us, uh, Adam. So Rob Betts emailed in. Hello, Rob. Rob said that he's a, a level seven referee, I think he said. And he was asking, or he, we, he, in fact, he email, emailed in about sort of a tip for um, beginner referees. And we've had a, a lot of these coming in and we're going to keep, I think, uh, referring to some or all of them as they come in because they're all really, really helpful. But Rob Absolutely. said um, his tip for beginner referees in relation to infringements taking place on the edge of the box, uh, he says sometimes it can be a bit unclear as to whether or not an infringement has occurred within the penalty area or not, and therefore is it a free kick or is it a penalty, especially on some sort of poor grass pitches where the lines or pitch markings are not as clear as they might be. And his suggestion is that you should stop play uh, head exactly to where the offence was, and then you can make your decision on whether it's a penalty or a free kick uh, once you're on the spot, uh, which makes me kind of think about what we were talking about last week with Terry about positioning, Adam, because if if you're sort of keeping up and keeping close to play, um, then I think that what Rob's saying is a, is a really good idea because you can be on that spot very, very quickly if you're keeping up with play. Yeah. Um, and, and then whatever your decision is, whether it be a penalty kick or a free kick, you, you're going to be able to sell it a lot more easily because you know you, you're, you're right there. Uh, I think if what Rob's saying is is um, perhaps slightly more problematic if you're a bit of a distance away, yep. because if you if you're if you're viewing it all from a bit of a distance, um, and then there's a delay from you getting from where you sort of blown up to where you think the infringement took place and you haven't by that stage indicated whether it's a penalty or free kick, yeah. everybody starts to question as whether you'd actually know yourself what it is. So I think, I think it's I think one of the important things that he brings up here is like it's okay to take your time. Like if you're unsure yeah. and stuff, just blow your whistle, recognize the foul, because that's if you don't recognize that, that's when you're gonna have bigger problems. And then you can, you know, just give buy yourself some time. And by buying yourself some time, you can then develop into something a bit clearer and a bit better, which is which is what you need to do sometimes. So that's that's I think kind of what he's getting at here, which is which is yeah, really I agree. And and he's really sort of picking up on two of the key things which we've said before, which is you know, 
getting keeping up with the play, getting sort of close to where the decisions are being made, and again, sort of taking your time on things. And mm. um, it was nice that Rob said that he appreciated um, one of the things that we spoke about before when we were talking about positioning on the pitch and you're, you're saying out about getting sort of wide and deep. And it was nice for him to say that he was sort of had that in his mind when he refereed his last game, kind of, you know, made him think about getting into the corners and, and better positioning. Um, and so it's, you know, it's nice to hear that people are sort of putting in practice some of the stuff we've talked about and actually feeling some benefit from it. And interestingly, uh, those who listened last week will remember Terry was talking about, we we're talking about heat maps and sort of, you know, the general version that he had and I have into getting into the penalty area. And he shared with us his heat map, I think, from, from his most recent game, which mm-hmm. had shown him making quite significant sort of encroachments into the penalty area. And um, and he already told us last week that, you know, he felt that was improving his game by sort of being, you know, much closer to the action, especially in those critical areas where, you know, it's, is it a penalty or not? Is it a corner or not? Um, yeah, so good. Nice to hear that, you know, some of the tips we give out are proving useful to people. And thanks for emailing in. It's always nice yeah, to thanks very much, loyal listeners. It's always nice um, to so that's great. If we, if we don't deal with your uh, email or questions sort of in the first episode after you sent in to us, don't panic because we keep a a record of all. Sometimes we sort of want to hold them back for other occasions when there might be a more relevant guest to deal with them, or they might be relevant to a law we're going to deal with. Uh, we try to cover as many as we can. Um, so yeah, if we don't deal with it next episode, don't panic. We'll, we'll hopefully come to it at some point in the future. And if we don't blame our producer. Yeah, exactly. It's all (laughs) his fault. We're now devoid of responsibility now that someone else is running this podcast. Um, so, uh, we haven't done a law in a long time, Adam. I know. Given that that wasn't the idea of this podcast originally, um, we haven't done a law for a very long time. Um, the good news is that we're now on to law 50, which is, um, excitingly titled the throw-in um and the throw-in can be dealt with um pretty quickly because it's probably one of the shortest not if it's the shortest but it's definitely one of the shortest um and i don't think anything we're going to say um is going to be amazing is (laughs) going to be earth shattering or or take anybody enormously by surprise Uh, at least i hope it's not because uh as we're going to come to in the fun facts later on uh, throw-ins are, are things that happen a lot in matches, so you should be knowing what the law is. Um, so, obviously, a throw-in's awarded to the opponents, the player who last touched the ball, when the whole of the ball passes over the touchline, whether that be on the ground or in the air. And the key point to remember is a goal cannot be scored directly from a throw-in. Adam, what happens if I take a throw-in and it goes into the opponent's goal without anybody else touching it? It's a goal kick. And what happens if I take a throw in Adam and I throw it back to my keeper and it goes into my goal that a we're defending without anybody touching? It's a corner kick. Those are the small little fact. I don't think I've ever seen a a, a, a ball have. going into the defensive my, goal. No, no, I've not seen that. I've seen I a throw seen the, directly yeah. into a goal. And I took some figuring out. I'm not going to lie. Up into all stars, it was. And, uh, and yeah, it took some figuring out because it went through a lot of bodies and players and I kind of had to take a moment, similar to what um, uh, Rob was talking about. Like I had to take a moment and just calm everything down, look at the reaction of players, look into their eyes a little bit and go, nah, I think on the balance of, of better judgment here. 
that definitely didn't touch someone as it went through. The problem is, it's, it's when those come in and there's sort of a lot of bodies, um, sort of in and around the six yard box, Absolutely. and um, having the you know that degree of certainty to say no one has touched it, because it is it is rather unusual that something comes in like that, whether it be across a corner or you know free kick, and um, without it getting a touch from somebody. But uh, anyway, so that's that's always worth knowing. So the next part is entitled procedure, which, as I say, I'm not sure this really adds very much to this, but it says, at the moment of delivering the ball, the thrower must, this bit sort of puzzled me a bit, it said, must stand facing the field of play. Yep. I mean, I'm not quite sure, I mean, how you do a throw in without facing the field of play. And it also, by suggesting that, it suggests that you kind of have to be sort of a, um, a, a sort of a right angle to the field of play. But I mean, we know that's not the case, but I'm just not sure what that really is telling us. I mean, what 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 scenario is it trying to prevent from you occurring? You can't throw it with your back face in play. That's it. I know it <laughs> well, might sound ridiculous, but you'd be surprised. Well, I, I'd love I'd love to know how you'd be able to throw a ball from behind your head, facing away from the pitch. The but speed, there we go. Someone was there. It's about slowing the game down, isn't it? Um, cool. Um, you must have part of each foot on the touchline or on the ground outside the touchline. So you can have your foot, um, part of your foot on the touchline. That's not a problem. Part of each foot. So both feet have to be in contact with the floor. Yeah, both feet have to be touched to the floor. And then you have to throw the ball with both hands from behind and over the head uh, from the point of where it left the field of play. And that's the behind bit that I think... and over the head. Yeah, so that so that's where most foul throws come from. In, in the professional game, when you're watching on TV, it's not people sort of lifting their leg up. That's not what happens. It's almost always because they release the ball sort of in front of their head or you know on top of their head, not from behind the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that. I think that's probably the most common thing in football. Yeah. I mean, grassroots is probably this pretty similar, isn't it? I mean, occasionally yeah, get it's just up. they're not taking it back far enough. They'll just throw right. it from there, kind of like, let's say from there, I can't, this, this is a podcast, Adam, but like from the forehead and then they'll throw it in, in kind of in line with yeah, the forehead. Yeah, that's, that's, Whereas it's got to come from kind of behind the the crown of the head, I'd say. Is, is throw it from behind it. and coming over the head. That's the easiest word to remember. Uh-huh. Uh, opponents must be at least two metres away from the point in the touchdown where the throws to be taken. Um, the ball's in play when it enters the field of play, but it's obviously... It needs to be retaken if it touched the ground before entering. Mm-hmm. Um, that perhaps goes without saying. Uh, but And when a throw is not taken correctly, it's retaken by the uh, opposition team. Um, and then this is um, slightly weird. If, if a player, while correctly taking a throw, deliberately throws the ball at an opponent in order to play the ball again, but not in a careless or reckless manner, or using excessive force, the referee allows play to continue. That's fair. I guess what's... That's what you that's sort of like, against well, their no leg. Yeah, that's no, different to, that's no different to in play. If a player kicks a ball player and it goes yeah. to win the throw, it's no different. It's just a case of you can't do it in an aggressive manner. It's just a case yeah. of massaging the game. Yeah. And a throw must not touch... Sorry, go on, carry on. I was going to say, the throw must not touch the ball again until it's touched another player, which... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what we saying is interesting. I was I was just going to say at the minute one of the big things you hear with it is is you can't throw the ball on meekly like it has to come on with energy and I like that in my games just because it looks better and it just feels better and you kind of want the game to restart with a bit of flow but nowhere in there does it say the ball has to come in at a particular speed or with a particular force or similar to a pass it's a very hard thing to judge so if a player does as long as it comes from behind the head and launches it in the right way. It, I, yeah. I mean, that would generate an element of force, 
But as long as that procedure is in place, it doesn't matter what the speed of the ball is. Interestingly, despite what players and coaches and everything else will try and dupe you into to believing. And then finally, it just deals with offences and sanctions. Uh, mm-hmm. So if after the ball's in play, the thrower touches the ball again before it's touched another player, then that's an indirect uh, free kick. And if the thrower commits a handball offence, then it's a direct free kick. Um, is really the sort of main thrust of that section. Um, and then an opponent who unfairly distracts or impedes a thrower, including moving closer than the two metres from where it's being taken, is cautioned for unsporting behaviour. And if the thrower has been taken, it's an indirect free kick. Um, there we go. There we I go. Think that's, that's the throw. That was nice news, wasn't it? That was nice 15 done. Terry, Terry's going to be getting excited now because he's thinking just fun facts left. We might come in under the hour. I was just going to say with the um, with the throw in, obviously, like the key things are a lot of time wasted and going to get a throw, going to get the ball. So just be aware of that as a referee. Um, yeah. That's that's the main thing. And the other thing is making sure that it it gets taken at the point in which the ball crossed the touchline within reason. You don't want yeah. people taking twenty meters. But they can probably take one or two, depending on where it is in the field. With that, I dislike a line, isn't it? It's a line of pressure. So the closer to the attacking goal, the more strict you probably want to be with where they take the throw. We've definitely talked about this before, about sort of how strict you are in terms of where the the throne is taken from. If the team taking the throne is sort of play to get to throw it back to their direction of their defenders, you're going to be less worried about a th- where it's been taken as opposed to a, a throw that might lead to a goal. Then you want to be a little bit stricter. But yeah, that's something we've definitely talked about before. Absolutely right. So there we go. That's our law done, Adam. Good There's job. only one thing left. I know. Cue jingle. It's now time for Ed's Fun Facts. Well, you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to try and get uh, anything near to what might be described as fun facts for the law of the throw-in. But, <laughs> but, but have I ever let you down, Adam? So uh, here we go. Uh, and then I've got quite a few, so I'm going to have to rattle through them so that we get in within our uh, time slot. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is, do you know who it is that holds the world record for the longest throw-in? That's the first question. Cause is, he, is he Brazilian? No, he's not Brazilian. So right. the answer is no, you don't know who no. he is. <laughs> um, he is someone called, apologies for my pronunciation, he's Danish, Thomas Gronemark, I think is the correct pronunciation. The reason why I thought you might have um, heard of him is because he has attracted a fair bit of media attention for reasons which I'll go into in a moment. But do you know what his uh, the record is for the Guinness World Record um Record is for the longest throw-in by Thomas Gronemark. What distance do you think it was? I don't know, like three quarters of the length of a pitch. So what would that not, be? It's not. It's not quite, quite that far. Um, that far. Half? Um, half of a pitch. So what's what's the length of half a pitch, Adam? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> My knowledge oh, of law one. I need to go so, back to the history. So right? do, do, don't answer questions. <laughs> With a reference to something you don't know and exposing our our lack of knowledge. Well, is that uh, something when, as a referee? We have to start really law one again in three weeks. I'm just looking it up now. Dimensions. Minimum dimensions, 90 what? meters. 90 meters Nine. is the minimum. Okay. Maximum is 120 meters. So, right. so between 90 and 120 meters. 60 meters. 
So interestingly, his world record is uh, 51.33 metres. Wow, his that's throwing. pretty impressive. I mean, that's as as the article that which I read about this was saying. That's you know, it's just slightly longer than an Olympic swimming pool. And I think most of us can probably sort of picture, oh, yeah, yeah, that sort of distance. So, I mean, it does. It is a pretty big Good throw. throw. Uh, I think when he broke the record, he did one of those throws. You know, where they sort of do a sort of somersault. Uh, you know, they somersault the ball on the ground and then you know mm, yeah. generate some energy doing that. Um, and he was given a bit of help because he's not he's not a, he's not a slim fella, uh, uh, Thomas. I think he weighs about 100 kilos. But he did he, he's a very interesting career. He, he played as a semi-professional footballer, but also has worked with the I think the Danish uh, gymnastics team for a period of time um, oh, as well. But yeah, so so and what speed do you think he he generated? Um, I've only got the speed in oh. kilometers per hour, I'm afraid. Okay, but uh. what speed do you think he generated in that throw? 14 kilometers an hour. 14? Yeah. Four, no. What? One, one, four? Yeah, is that fast <laughs> or is that slow? I have no idea. <laughs> That's like eight, eight or nine miles per hour. So is that quick? That's slow, right? That would be slow. All right. Let's that would be, go. That would be slow. Let's okay, try again. That, that's slow. All right. Let's try again. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, 22 kilometers an hour. No, do you know what the speed he generated on that throw 50 was? Kilo- no, clearly I don't. That much is obvious of the last two minutes of this recording. No, but, but for dramatic effect, I was trying to show how badly out you were, you see. <laughs> he, the speed was throw, it was 100 kilometres an hour. Are you kidding me? 100 kilometres an hour, which in, in, the, in the newspaper article which I was reading about, it said that's the equivalent speed that a cyclist does a mountain descent in the Tour de France. Just think about that. You've seen that on the That's TV. That's crazy. 100 kilometres an hour. Um, no, and wonder, apparently, no wonder you were so stunned by 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but interestingly, they, they said that a normal high-quality throw-in uh, registers at about 75 kilometres an hour, which I thought was interesting. Really? But just to put into context as to how good Thomas was, Rory Delat. so whenever we think mm. about Premier League footballers who are good at throw-ins, Rory Delat yeah. used to play for Stoke, always comes up. Um, Rory was a schoolboy national javelin champion, which is interesting. Uh. Um, but he averaged, bear in mind, we just about the world record of 51.33. He averaged 38 meters in his um, wow. throw-ins. And his average speed was about 60 kilometers an hour. That's 37 miles per hour. So just shows you how impressive Thomas Gronemark is. Now, the reason why I thought you might have heard about Thomas before is because um, he began working for Liverpool in 2018 as a throw-in specialist coach. There you go. Having worked in for various clubs in Denmark and had a great deal of success in helping clubs create more goals through throw-ins, um, he is a specialist throw-in coach. I think he's still employed by Liverpool. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, but he's fast. He's a really interesting chap. If you want to Google him, he he reckons that um, since the age of ten, he has spent about thirty to forty thousand hours perfecting his technique. So he says he reckons he spent three or four years of his life doing this. Um, there's a there's a there's a theory on that, isn't there? Is it something like like oh, I can't remember yeah. what it's called, but it's uh, we've mentioned it's him Ma- before. It's like we, Matthew Sides theory Matthew isn't Sayed, there, about how yeah. if you if you get an to have to get good at something, ten thousand hours of practice. Just, yeah, just have to do it lots yeah. and lots and lots. And um, what's really interesting is that. 
Um, I mean, it's not really surprising that um, we that you know, there is a thing such as a, a sort of throw-in coach, because if you think about it, um, I, I read a, a study that was published in a magazine done by some uh, researchers at Sheffield Hallam University who were talking about, um, well, let me ask you, what percentage of goals, they did a study on the MLS football, and what percentage of goals do you think came from set plays, Adam? In the MLS? Yeah, they did a study over a period of years in the MLS. I think it was from 2015 to 2019. Um, and they were, the number of goals that came from set plays, that's corners. I'm thinking somewhere around 62%. No, it's not it's not as high as that, but it, okay. I mean, it's still quite significant, 34%. And so that makes it all the more bizarre, really, that bear in mind that throw-ins are a set play that you can prepare for and train for that no one had really ever thought before this chap mm. came along about coaching people. You know, Absolutely. he talked about how he'd go to football clubs and that they, no one had ever coached a throw-in. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't happen. No, I can believe um, that. And in the, in this, these people who did this study from Sheffield Hallam University, looking at the MLS in 2015 to 2019, they, um, how many throw-ins do you think there were per game, Adam? On average, in the MLS, 2015-2019, average Uh, number of throw-ins per game. 32? Higher than that, 44 per game. Mm -hmm. 5% of all passes, um, if you sort of call a throw-in a pass, 5% of all passes in every match are throw-ins, which makes it, again, all the more surprising that people don't really focus on this before. And just compare that with, with the other sort of set plays. So corners... On average, 10 a game in the MLS that period. Free kicks between 23 and 35. Goal kicks, 17. So it's the most significant set play that takes place um, within a game. And they did similar studies and looked at the Premier League in 2018-2019. They found, again, um, an average of 43 per match. So pretty similar to the MLS. And it's interesting. They did it they for that period of time. They did a breakdown of the number of throws that every team got on average per game. And um, it was, as you'd expect, really, pretty much every team had the same number of throw-ins consistently throughout the season, ranging from an average of 19 throws per team per game to up to 23. So everybody was coming in sort of around that sort of 20, 21 mark. And what was interesting from the Sheffield Hallam research was that there is a correlation between the highest placed teams in divisions and teams that have um, throw-ins where the first contact, that is sort of the receiving player, is successful, uh, where the possession is retained following a throw-in, uh, the length of time that they're in possession after a throw-in, and shot creation rates are all um, consistent with the teams that come highest in the leagues. And so, um, as I say, the weird thing was that it seems that no one before um, Thomas Gronemark came along was looking into this, and the Sheffield Hallam research says, surprising we don't see more and i think that's probably something which other clubs have addressed as well absolutely there we go those are my fun facts for this week adam excellent and that's it i think we've come close to keeping it under an hour terry will be pleased what an influence he's had and uh he'll be very happy down from 90 minutes to 60 minutes just with his mere mere intervention the power that he wields the power (laughs) of mr connolly Uh, well, we should say to people, we are going to work hard on our socials over the coming weeks with Terry's help. So we're going to be posting more videos, 
more listener questions posed by us to you to get your interaction with some of the things that happen in the refereeing world. Um, and so keep an eye out um, at Red or Yellow Pod on Twitter, uh, at Red or Yellow Pod on TikTok and on Instagram, Adam, we are? At Red or Yellow Pod. And um, if people want to email us, just remind people of the email address. Red or Yellow Pod at gmail.com. There we go. Couldn't be easier to get in touch with us. So please do get in touch. Please We'd do. Love to have Share your- clips. Ask for help. Let us Tip try through and help you as much as we can. It'd be great. Just tell us what you enjoy about the pod, uh, what you'd like to see more of, what you don't like, uh, and we'll do our best to try. What if, uh, what if they say? What if they say I don't like Adam and they just get rid of me? Well, it's easy. That's fine. We can sort that out. I've got a new producer to help me <laughs> oh, create wow. the show. Oh wow! Honestly, come on, episodes people. When you remember. <laughs> on that note, we shall say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do it without you adam are you a bit snarky today because you've not been drinking wine the whole episode yeah do you notice that? i've been drinking on squash i'm going cycling tomorrow early tomorrow morning so lovely uh i'm at home being sensible we're going to watch a bit of tv early to bed and go for another cycle tomorrow there we go right adam love to see you have a lovely day lovely and uh, to speak to you soon ciao ciao bye bye Thank you so much for making it to the end of another episode of Red or Yellow. You're clearly a very fit listener. May I gently remind you to like and subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app. That way, when we release a new episode, our meandering chats will magically appear on your phone. Also, if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with one of your friends when they ask for a podcast recommendation. Word of mouth goes a long way, and no more so than yours. Don't forget, you can get 10% off any refereeing equipment that you might need if you head to processsports.com and use the code REDOYELLOW10 at checkout. Thank you so much for listening this week. And don't forget to follow us on social media. It's at Pod, And please feel free to send us any questions that you may have via DM, or you can email redoryellowpod at gmail.com. We cannot wait to speak to you again very, very soon. Ciao, ciao.